Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast, where each episode provides in-depth insights about the long-term value of companies and ideas in our current world. Your host for this podcast is Doug Utberg, the founder and principal consultant for Business of Life, LLC. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Michael Episcope on the line with us today. And what we are going to talk about is his 14-year journey to being an overnight success. And of course, that's a little bit of a euphemism uh, because a lot of times there's this perception that businesses just sort of come out of the gate and get really successful really fast. Uh, Generally speaking, I found that that rarely happens. And when it does, there's usually a string of failures that have preceded it uh, that provided the learnings to be able to uh, get things right on on one of the future iterations. So uh, Michael, please introduce yourself. And uh, yeah, let's get the conversation going. Great. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Well, I'm Michael Episcope. I'm the co-CEO of Origin Investments. My partner and I actually started this 14 years ago Mm -hmm. together. So it's been quite the journey. I'm excited to be here today on on the podcast as well. Um, I can tell you a little bit about Origin if you want me to go into that. Well, well, I think one of the things that I'm, uh, and yeah, I think that would be good, particularly because it's like, there are so many investing firms out there. Uh, I think that how you create differentiation, at least to me, is really interesting because uh, I, you know, I, I get a lot of the marketing and it all seems very, very, very similar. You know, it's some combination of asset, wealth, capital, and then preservation, growth, um, that there's, there's the same the same nouns and adjectives are used by literally everybody. And so it's very hard to figure out who does what and who does it competently. Yeah. Well, I I would say our journey is no different um, than a lot of entrepreneurs who start. And in the beginning, you you have to really be solving a fundamental problem in the market um, Mm -hmm. to be growing a business, right? And the fundamental problem could be that the market has a problem the fundamental problem might be that you just want financial independence and you want to do this. But I don't think any business like, you know, gets started or success because people say, I want to make a lot of money. I'm going to go start a business, right? There, there's always some underlying theme to it. And so for my partner and I, when we started in this business, we both came out of the commodities trading world and, and we okay. were very like-minded. We had um, mm-hmm. a lot of our own wealth and we had we have been investing on that side in the alternative space, in real estate, in other alternatives, and it always mm-hmm. felt like two steps forward and one step back, and, and that one step back was painful, and and it was generally you know investing with others, and we sort of just said, look, we can do a better job with our own capital, and and that's that was literally you know I, I think we had a conversation like let's do this like like if this is the best that we can find out there we can do better. And so from the beginning, it was always about building a firm around our own capital base, right? Or around people who are like us. And we didn't in the beginning have this grand vision of building a big firm. It just sort of happened organically. And and that was, um, it's been an amazing journey, but Mm -hmm. we've always kind of stuck true to that original vision, which is helping high net worth investors like ourselves grow their capital generate passive income, doing it through real estate, bringing quality investments to people, but but really balancing um, what I'll call in real estate, there's the retail side of the business, and then there's the institutional side of the business, right? And pre-2007, the retail side was just, uh, the 
the firms that went into that side, um, they really looked at that side of the business as, hey, we can charge a lot more fees. There's no buying power, right? People are putting 50, $100,000, $200,000, even a million dollars into deals, right? They, um, you know, they don't have the same pricing power as an institution putting 20, 30, $40 million in, right? And so, so there was this imbalance and we wanted to be right in the middle. We wanted to serve the individual high net worth investor like ourselves, but bring in all of the greatest institutional qualities, right? And I, I talk about that from the team, from the service, from the investment products, um, everything you can imagine. And that's always been the vision. Now, the reason why most people have never done that is because it's incredibly difficult to scale up. And in the beginning, yeah. um, we we were losing money every year, but we wouldn't we we didn't want to change anything. And it was sort of like when, when we look back, we we really wanted to adhere to our our mission and our vision. And what I like to say is David and I were were paying the equivalent of four percent in annual asset management fees to kind of float the company along. And everybody else was paying, you know, one and a quarter, one and a half along the way. So they were getting the institutional pricing on that side. And that's what we did. But we also knew we were building a balance sheet. We were building a business, um, but we always struck, stuck true to those guns. And I'm still just, you know, amazed even today looking at some of the firms because the world is, is far more transparent today with a lot of uh, just a lot, a lot of good choices out there, but there are still those who operate, you know, with that mindset from 10, 20 years ago about looking at the retail channel as a way just to, to make huge, huge margins. And so we're really setting out to change the business on that side. And that's sort of been our, our mission and our vision the whole time. And so it's resonated with a lot of people. And yeah. we went from two people in 2007, my partner and I investing our own money, inviting close friends and family in. 2007 had to be an interesting time to get started. Well, well it was. And I had about this, six you know, months that everything looked great. And then you had about uh, four well, years where you wondered whether you'd be able to pay the next month's yeah, rent probably. Keep in mind, um, 2007 was actually a great time to enter the business because the cracks were starting to appear. And my partner and I were entrepreneurial and we've always adhered to the number one rule in investing, which is don't lose money, right? So we started buying. It sounds um, so easy when you say it that way. It, it sounds easy, right? But you have to, like, when you're putting your own money into these things and you're looking at the world and where do you want to play, you know, real estate is a big market, right? You can yeah. be in industrial, office, retail, multifamily. You can be in opportunistic. You, you can play in different parts of the capital structure as well. Mm -hmm. So it became very apparent to us in 2007 that the part of the capital structure we wanted to play in was debt. And that's because we started, you know, the market, there were cracks appearing. We started hearing about debt being sold for 70 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar. And that really appealed to us about protecting our capital, but getting these great assets at a, at a large yeah. discount. Um, and, and that sort of morphed into then letting friends and family in and building that up. And so we went from um, the two of us to about mm -hmm. 30 investors by the end of 2011 to 70 investors by the end of 2013. And then where the business really pivoted is um, there's something in our, our universe called the JOBS Act that came out. And the JOBS Act came out in 2008, and it was this pivotal mm -hmm. legislation that allowed companies like ours to actually market um, their products, right? So, so we just kind of looked at it and said, look, we've got a great product. We have a great team. We are a top decile manager. Our funds are hitting it out of the park. Let's put this out there and, mm -hmm. and see, you know, like try to attract more investment partners because prior to that, it was my partner and I running around talking to people. And when we did that, we opened up fund three and we launched that. 
and 450 people ended up joining us in fund three okay. and people we had never, you know, friends of friends, network of network, but a lot of people candidly who had just never, you know, met yeah. us and met us through an online presence. And then, you know, that has sort of been, you know, that was the inflection point for origin. And then over time, these last few years, we've, um, uh, you know, we're up to more than 2000 investors today. So it's been quite a ride, but I, I would say that, you know, I would love to tell you that I had this grand vision and my partner and I had this grand vision when we set out. Um, we didn't, but we always stuck true to what we believed, you know, kind of the fundamental belief yeah. of what we wanted to, to do and accomplish. And we always go back to those values when we're creating funds, when we're, you know, doing anything, hiring people, creating structure at origin. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Well, and it's it's kind of it. There's a couple of things you brought up there that are sort of interesting because I think the a lot of people underappreciate how important the Jobs Act is because um, you know what it does is it creates some additional ways for kind of niche firms like yours like yours uh, to raise capital without having to go th- jump through all the all the hoops of a traditional uh, initial public uh, you know uh, initial public offering or IPO. Um, or, you know, or, or at least I think that's how the Jobs Act interpretation went, because I know there were three or four interpretations of the act that uh, that resulted in ultimately settling out where it's at. Yeah. And, and Doug, I'll tell you, it, it was it was one of it benefits investors so much because prior to the Jobs Act, um, the legislation went back to like the 1930s and, and yeah. essentially what it allowed people to do or didn't allow people to do it, didn't allow um, transparency into the market. So everybody had to transact behind closed doors. There was no open communication. Yeah. There was no, um, there were no real estate investment forums out there. And, and, and you look back and you're like, how does that protect people? Because it allowed, right, without the collective wisdom of the crowd to actually come in together, it allowed really bad firms to exist because they, they could, you know, they, they could hide behind closed doors. And now everything is open and transparent. And a lot of those firms now are still relying on, on old tactics and people, you know, not finding better companies. But it's, it's landmark legislation that really yeah. has benefited the market greatly and for the, the benefit of investors, truly. Yeah, yeah well, and um, I, one thing I'd love to get your thought on is because I think your tradition, you know, and so my background is from the technology industry. So traditional uh, technology, you know, tech wisdom is that, uh, you know, technology eventually makes economic inefficiency obsolete. You know, I think we're starting to see that on the retail real estate side. You're starting to see an advent of discount brokers. Uh, you know, whether it's pe- people doing, say, direct list on Zillow or Redfin or other things like that. Um, and, you know, however, uh, my thought is that, you know, there's so much structural inefficiency in a lot of these asset management uh, firms and technology has not yet made it obsolete. And it just feels like it is the ripest plum of ripe plums to be just, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to be swept away by fintech. Uh, why do you think that hasn't happened? Well, I, I think it has happened, especially uh, I, you see robo-advisors coming into yeah. the asset management space because that's commoditized. And I'll tell you a story. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it probably goes back about five or six years ago. And I got a, a call from somebody. Well, I won't mention the firm, but I'll just tell you the story. But they had said, hey, my account um, qualifies for a, a personal representative. And, and I said, you know, we were talking about it. I said, okay. And, and, but we were also talking about a robo-advisor account. I said, okay, well, tell me like what, how has the human done over the last year versus the robo-advisor? Well, uh, and I'll make these numbers up, but they're about, well, the, the, you know, the human has done 12.8%, you know, in the last year, it was a good year. And the robo-advisor did 14%. So I'm like, okay, well, what about over three years? Right. And 
And it was the same result, right? The, the, you know, the human did 9.8%, the robo-advisor did 11%. And I'm, I'm looking at this and, and they, he just, and I'm, I'm like, I don't understand why I would pay somebody 1% to use a human when the robo-advisor is 25 basis points and they beat them every year. I, I'm like, yeah. this doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. Your, your average return is higher. Your compound yeah. return is higher. Your standard deviation is lower. And your fees uh, it's, are lower. It's that I mean, right. Yeah. And, and you're not, <laughs> you know, you don't have the bias in there as well. So stocks and bonds are very commoditized and what they're learning in that business. And there's so much pressure, you know, that, that um, the human element isn't as needed. And it's actually a detriment, right? To what the robo advisors can do. Now, I think a lot of people confuse real estate investing with asset management, right? Asset management, you're, I mean, I, I don't want to offend anybody, right? We work with a lot of wealth managers, but when you look at our fees, right? Like let's say an asset manager charges 75 basis points and you look at a fee on one of our funds as one and a half percent. You're like, wow, yeah. that's double, right? My ass, that's not the same. It's, it's apples to oranges, right? For an asset manager to run a billion dollars of stocks, they need three people. Right. For us to run a billion dollars of real estate, we need 25, 30 people. Yeah. We have 35 people today and we're running. Right. And, and the, every division from the acquisitions team to the investment management team to the investor relations team to the marketing to the legal to the accounting, yeah. these are all teams within an organization that yeah. get paid by that asset management fee. So we have to be thought of as like a company, a layer under. Because when, when asset managers are buying and selling stocks, right, there's a company below them that has all the fees and the complexities. And, and that's kind of how we should be looked at. And we get yeah. lumped in. Your question about technology. Technology, um, I mean, it, it is coming into our business to make it more mm -hmm. efficient. And you've seen a lot of people embrace the Jobs Act, but it's not... It doesn't really help you do your, your job necessarily um, better on the ground, finding deals, things like that. There is some technology for that, but yeah. real estate is still a local game. It's still relationship-based, but everything else about it, the customer experience, how does the customer get onboarded? How does the customer, um, the, the data get translated, the, the customer reports, things of that nature. Um, that stuff is all really, really important when you're building yeah. a firm and you have complexity and you have 2000 investors and we're going through, you know, candidly, some growing pains right now, sure. integrating all of our technology. And so we had, um, you know, I, I mean, I can share you with these stories about our technology, but it's been this meandering. Well, that's, yeah, um, I was going to say finance and technology is my background. And so, yes, yeah. I have, uh, I've had a front row seat to a uh, front row seat to a number of, uh, uh, technology integrations uh, with, you know, with, you know, with varying degrees of success is really the wrong word. I mean, it did get integrated eventually, but usually at a significant multiple of the time and cost estimated. Yes. Yes, it really is. And, um, you know, and, and like I, a lot of this stuff, even the technology that we just moved to, it's a great customer experience, but it's it's kind of ropes and pulleys on the back end, as I like to, to say. And and you know, you like to think everything's automated and you're gonna push the button and things are gonna happen, but it doesn't have happen as easy as that. And you just need a lot of people. But I will say this, like, you know, again, back to why do you do things, right? Well, you do things anything, like build technology, buy technology, yeah. lease technology, because you think you know you can do it better, or there's a better product out there, et cetera. And one of the things that really matters in real estate investing, right? One of the biggest variables is growth rates. And for yeah. years and years, it, it this has been a pain point of ours because we lease 
data and information from other companies who come out mm -hmm. with these growth rates, but it's really a black box. And I'll give you an, if you have a real estate investment and you're doing financial modeling in it, and yeah. if you put a growth rate in of 4%, the deal makes sense all day long. But if yeah. you put in a growth rate of 1% in of your, of your income, right? The deal doesn't look good anymore. You're not, you know, you're not probably going to lose money, but growth rates are one of the biggest variables, right? So it was always pounding our head against the pavement. Like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable, right? They're not giving us like, like they're not back testing us. They're not proving to us that this data is accurate. So we went out and actually hired uh, two data scientists from the University of Chicago, and yeah. we built um, artificial intelligence internally. And what okay. they've done is they, they've been working on this for about a year and a half. They scrape public data, they take more than 5 million pieces of information. And this is far better than what we were leasing before and renting. And we, we are continually iterating it and, and making it better and better because it's such a critical and core piece of our organization and what we do. And it was, it was also kind of the bane of our existence and trying to figure this out. And, you know, because markets forecasting is, is impossible, right? I mean, to say the least, and it's only when you look back, you, you can tell if you were right. Right. So what we've done, I mean, they've done so much back testing on this to get this thing as close as possible. It's as good as we can get in the market. It is a tool that helps us identify target markets, deals, sub markets, et cetera. But we use it as one of many tools in our day-to-day. Our -day. So technology is important um, and it does drive a lot of businesses, especially the, the efficiencies. And if you can find ways to do business better than your yeah. competitors, that's a huge leg up. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, and at least one of the other things that, at least that I've noticed is that uh, you know, if you're talking about a kind of a niche firm, you actually don't even really need to do business materially better than your competitors. What you need to do is you need to... Uh, be, you need to attract a, you know, you need to be able to identify and attract a like-minded niche of clients and you can actually do perfectly fine. I go, yeah, because I think yeah. that's one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs don't initially understand is that you don't have to be the best in order to be very successful. You know, if, yes, if, you, know, if, you, if, you, know, if you are, you know, yeah, of course you're right. You don't want to be horribly overpriced or yeah. have horribly, horribly bad quality, but you can be very similar to a number of other firms. But if you develop an identity and an avatar client who really identifies with your, your company, your mission, your product or service, and you know, why you're doing it, you can actually be very, very successful. Yeah. And Doug, I think the word you use is, is why people invest with you because they believe what you yeah. believe and, and they believe in you. The one thing I, I will say is that as an organization, you have to put your flag in the sand somewhere yeah. and figure out where you want to win. Yeah. And with us, when we were, you know, and I'll, I can go back many years ago, um, you know, when we hired our current marketing director, she's amazing. Yeah. And we were talking about what is the marketing strategy? Well, the traditional marketing strategy is you, you put a third into advertising, a third into PR, a third into this. And so the, the challenge with that, though, is that then you're number 86 in every category, right? Where do you want to win and be number one? And so what we decided at that time was, well, number one, we can't win in PR because we don't have millions of dollars. We can't no. win in advertising because we didn't have millions of dollars to spend. But what we did have is labor and, and a lot of insight into the markets. And so we went all in on content. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And, and so that was just writing, writing, writing. And we had 
you know, we have over 400 pieces of original content between blogs and videos and white papers, you know, across the yeah. internet now. And that was the way that we won because if you look at your competition out there, like a Blackstone or, or whoever it is yeah. in your industry, and you're trying to do the same things they are, you're going to lose. This is yeah. this goes back. I mean, one of my favorite um, books, movies is Moneyball. And, yeah. and right there, Billy Bean said, what problem are we Open trying to athletics, solve? yeah. There you go. Exactly. The same thing. Um, and I thought that that scene was brilliant. They all said, he said, no, if we do the same things in this room that yeah. the Yankees are doing, we're going to lose. We need to think yeah. differently. And I think for every entrepreneur out there, you have to think differently. And for yeah. us, we were one of the first firms out there to embrace the Jobs Act, to embrace technology, to be forward facing out there because it was so just foreign to everybody. But we're like, how are we going to win? Well, this is how we're going to win by bringing this out there, transforming yeah. the market, living our mission, living our vision, you know, hiring the best team, doing everything that, that we believe is the right way to do business. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think that, um, you know, there's a couple of nuggets in there that I think are, are really, uh, you know, really prescient for a number of entrepreneurs, because I think, you know, if you intentionally decide that you're not going to try to go after everybody and that you're going to go after, say, for example, a more, uh, a more niche boutique uh, client base where you can justify charging higher fees, now you can pay to attract and retain higher end talent. And you don't have to go through a lot of the uh, cost-cutting uh, hoopla that companies like Blackstone does. So Blackstone has an enormous cost center. First thing I'm going to do is say, oh my God, this is expensive. Let's ship it over to India. I go, okay, yes, it's going to save them a whole lot of money, but their customer experience goes in the tank. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I think that, you know, that is actually, uh, that's a, a benefit that a lot of niche unique player or, or kind of niche players have that most people don't really realize is that, you know, when you're not huge, you have the ability to structure your business so that you can create that differentiation that is unscalable. Yes. So it's interesting you say that because our business, um, you're, you're, you're doing, you have value and you have cost and everybody's yeah. evaluating those two things with one sure. another. Am I, am I paying, right? Am I getting value beyond what I'm paying in this business? Yeah. Every business goes through that. Now, the interesting thing about real estate is even when you have pricing power, mm -hmm. the product that you're ultimately selling, I mean, you're, you're selling safety, you're selling security, you're selling income, you're selling, you know, all yeah. these different things, but you can't raise price to the point where it actually goes against your product because it's a zero sum game, right? Yeah. There's only so much money that a property will produce. How much of that goes to the investor and how much of that goes to the manager? And so yeah. there's that balancing line in, in our industry. And what we've done is we're like, look, we have good gross margins. Let's mm -hmm. keep our fees where they are, but scale up and just yeah. you know, create bigger funds and more assets under management. And I, I think that's the key to, you know, how do you, as you grow, continue to maintain the, the, this value that got you to where you are today. And Excellent. that is a big mistake that as firms scale, they actually lose the value proposition. We've all experienced this before. Sure. That they go through mega growth and, and they had a wonderful product and all of a sudden, hey, what just happened here? Then you learn, yeah. well, private equity bought them a year ago and this changed and that changed. And, and, and so, you know, it's this downward spiral. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, well, hey, uh, give us uh, uh, give us one or two last nuggets of wisdom and then let everybody know your website or how they can get a hold of you to learn more. Oh, my God. Two two nuggets of wisdom. OK. Man. All right. Find one. Put me on the spot. Compromise. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm better when we just talk organically. Uh, yeah, if you want to learn about us, our website is uh, origininvestments.com. If you, you can connect with somebody there, um, very easy. Uh, we're real estate investments. We're located in Chicago as well. Again, four okay. offices around the country. So really easy to connect with us. Outstanding. All right. Well, origininvestments.com. Thank you very much, Michael. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me, Doug. All right. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Share it with your friends by sending them to terminalvaluepodcast.com. For more information, please visit businessoflifellc.com for full access to Doug's products and services. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.